Welcome to Rolling Rocks Radio, hosted by Jerry Armentrout and Scott Barker. Welcome to Rolling Rocks Radio, the podcast where we drink whiskey, we talk about jujitsu, mixed martial arts, and anything else that we find entertaining. He's Jerry Armentrout, I'm Scott Barker, and welcome to tonight's show. Hello. So Brother Jerry brought the bottle this week, so Jerry, what are we drinking? We went a little off, you know, kilter. We normally, you know, drink some different stuff. Tonight we're drinking Spirits of the Apocalypse, the Walking Dead Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. The only reason I bought this is because I dig the label. This is their comic book label from, not the TV shows, the actual comic book. And I just enjoyed it because this guy, you know, zombie hands on his bloody fingerprints, and it says Safe Zone Certified. It's, you know, 47% alcohol. It's not super strong, but it's not bad. You know, the, the back of it reads, an apocalypse has swept the globe, causing the dead to rise and feed on the living. In a matter of months, society has crumbled. There is no government, no grocery stores, no mail delivery, no cable TV. Luckily, there are spirits. Nice. So to that, here we go. Cheers, brother. Cheers. I said it's got a bite to it. I like that. You yeah. said that they uh, they were trying to go with the theme of like what a, a raw distilled spirit would be like yeah. in The Walking Dead, and I can I can see that in this. It's supposed to be like a bootleg bourbon, mm. like something you would make in your garage. You know, this is what it is. It's got a bite to it. It's got a good burn. It's not as sophisticated as others, but to me, this is like raw, mm. you know, it's it, good to go. It's it's nice and hot. It's got a lot of brown sugar to it, a little bit of spice, some caramel. That's that's pretty good, man. I like that. If if you like a hotter burning whiskey, like everything we've had so far has been pretty smooth. Yeah. So this is a little bit more on the rough edge, and I really dig this. This is good stuff. This is yeah. Like I said, I got this because literally the whole point of this, the company that made it, they made they went with the direction of if you were making this in your garage during the zombie apocalypse. What are you in your bathtub? This is bathtub hooch. What could you make with what was on hand? I dig that. And it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely not a sipping whiskey, but it's a good, it's a good one. Yeah, th- this is good. This one, I'll, I'll drink that again. I, we haven't hit one I wouldn't drink yeah. again so far. But uh, this is a nice counterpoint to the uh, Cascade Blonde. Yes, it is. The Cascade Blonde was very good, but it was very smooth, smooth. and kind of mild. It really this is. This is on the other side of the, the flavor profile. Yeah. So the last couple of shows, we've gone real deep into the mixed martial arts cards that have been going on. Uh, we had two fights over the weekend that we're going to talk about a little bit, but we're going to get back to the jiu-jitsu discussions this week with uh, some, some discussions on uh, advice for beginning students. Uh, but first, we'll we'll go over the the fight cards that happened over the weekend and, and some various and sundry trivia. So obviously, over the last couple of weeks, we've had a couple of big um, we've had a couple of big things in the the political realm. John Lewis died, and uh, Herman Cain died yeah, today. He died today, passed away from. Uh, so John Lewis died of cancer, I believe. Yes, um, he had been battling that for a while, and Herman Cain passed away from COVID. This morning, um, he'd been fighting that for about a month. He he's, he had some other health issues, and COVID 
kind of caused more issues for him. Yeah. I think he just couldn't get past it. So, we, you know, our, our um, condolences out to the Lewis and the Kane family. Yes. Uh, those are two. They're both icons. They're both John Lewis. I mean, he, he started back with Martin Luther King. I mean, he did the walks. He did uh, everything you could think of to get equal equal rights. He fought the good fight, and he became a legislator, was a representative for a long time. And whether you like his politics or not, the man was – I always thought he was at least honest. You may not agree with what he – with his – what he was saying, but at least he was honest enough to say what he believed straightforward. He didn't play political games as much as a lot of them. He was just straightforward. This is what I think we should do. And he would say it. He would say what he felt. And Herman Cain was obviously on the other side of the, mm-hmm. uh, of the political yes. aisle. Um, but, you know, he was a, an entrepreneur. You know, he yeah. pulled himself up from humble beginnings, uh, took over uh, and rehabilitated a number of different businesses, businesses Godfather's Pizza mm-hmm. uh, and you know, other, other food and, and beverage industry uh, businesses like that. He obviously ran for president yes. several times. Yep. He, was, he, he was a political uh, – he had a uh, very, very popular syndicated po- – uh, talk show yep uh he had a very successful uh, blog uh but yeah he was kind of the opposite opposite aisle of john lewis but they were those two guys that even if you know they're the i think both of them are the kind of are the kind of gentlemen that even if you disagreed with they probably sit down and talk to you and listen to you and you could probably both walk away and say hey okay well we might still not agree 100 percent, but it was cordial and we can see each other's point of view better. Agreed. So our condolences uh, from the Rolling Rocks team go out to the the Lewis and the Kane family. Um, so in other news, in I guess Jerry, did you see that Craig Jones took his first loss in submission only grappling? Yes, I did. It's been a been a, been a month here of several people taking their first loss. So have you heard the story behind his loss to Mason mm-hmm. Fowler? No, there's. There's been a lot of memes to it, but I haven't actually heard from him his his exact exact words. So this actually started. This whole thing started back in 2019, um, because a lot of people don't actually know who Mason Fowler was. So in the lead up to to the fight at Submission Underground, everybody's asking who's Mason Fowler. You know, what do you think? You know, why is he getting this chance against Craig Jones? And then somebody heard that. Mason Fowler and Craig Jones met up in the quarters of the Abu Dhabi Combat Club trials in 2019. And Craig Jones beat Mason Fowler. But Mason Fowler has said the whole time, the judging was bad, the ref screwed me, I should have been two points up, and I missed out on my chance to go to ADCC. So they went to Craig Jones and said, hey, Craig, this Mason Fowler guy is saying he beat you at ADCC trials in 2019. And Craig Jones says, he's right. He should have won that match. The the refing was bad. Sign him up. I'll take him on again because he deserves the rematch. Good for him. So it was um, the it was their rematch was at the last uh, submission underground. It was um, you know, the EBI invitational rules. So they ran to the end of regulation and they had to go to overtime. And for anybody who doesn't know, if there's not a submission 
or a, a, a tap out uh, or unconsciousness during the 20 minute regulation, they go to overtime. And the way overtime's done, it's either done on submission or minutes under control. Yes. So if the, if, if the, and they start on the back, they start on the back. So if the guy on the back can submit, then that's a time. And then if he doesn't get the submission, as long as he's in control, the clock runs. So whoever escapes faster or gets a submission faster is the one who wins. Yes. So Craig Jones racked up a lot of time in overtime, over 10 minutes in overtime. So it looked pretty good that he was going to walk out of submission underground with his championship intact. When it came time for Mason Fowler to get on the back, he ended up, Mason Fowler ended up locking in a body triangle on Craig Jones. And he was going for a submission, and as he went for a submission, he tightened up on the body triangle, making Craig Jones make a noise. Yep, verbal tap. And the referee called it as a verbal tap. Uh, actually, Mason Fowler was going for a neck crank. He started off going for a guillotine, couldn't get the guillotine, and turned it into a neck crank. And as he tightened down on the body triangle, Craig Jones went, <sighs> verbal tap. And there was some uh, there was some controversy around it, and the ref pulled them together and said, "Craig, I know your skill level. I know where you are, but I'm here to protect you. And you're in the middle of a neck crank, and you made a noise. And those are the rules. Yep. I have no choice but to call it this way." And Craig said, "Okay, you're right." And so Mason Fowler is now the submission underground champion. Hey. So that's our that's our various and sundry portion of the of the show tonight. So two cards over the weekend. We had Bellator 242 and UFC Fight Night 174. And this really was a tale of two cards. Yes. So you had Bellator coming out after uh, the lockdown with their first event, Mohegan Sun, uh, you know, the birthplace of mixed martial arts, yep. basically. Uh, trying to figure out if they can make it work versus the UFC who's been putting on at least one show a week for the last several months. And the UFC, uh, their card, Fight Night 174, had 15 fights on it, the most of any card in UFC history, versus Bellator's seven. Three in the prelims, four on the mains, and the mains were the only ones televised. So the show on uh, Paramount was four fights. Yep. That lasted three hours. Yeah, they did a lot of talking. It was a lot of talking. So on the mains, uh, you had Aaron Pico go against um, Solo Hatley Jr. Pico came out, got a submission. You just went back to what made him get into Bellator, he went right back to his world-class grappling, didn't bother trying, because therefore his two losses, he was trying to strike. He was trying to be a striker. And he got knocked out both times. Tonight, he came in, went right to his grappling, took it right to the ground, ground and pound, fights over. And his previous win was that way, too. Because he was edging on to that third third loss, and you know, he was supposed to be, Pico was supposed to be the second coming, coming. and he's, he struggled a little bit in Bellator. They were, they were, uh, 
when he first came out, they were saying how he was going to be just like Ben Askren. He was going to be undefeated. He was going to ragdoll everybody. And problem was, he wanted to scrap, and he found out that that uppercut up the middle can knock you out. And yeah. he got knocked out the first time, and the second time he got caught against the cage with a crazy, I think, straight right and put him to sleep. So the second fight was Taiwan Claxton uh, versus J.J. Wilson. This one was at featherweight. It went to a decision. J.J. Uh, Wilson pulled the win. Um, the The Bellator fight card in and of itself just wasn't that great. The no, fights was... were not that compelling. The The finale of the main was really the only one that had any kind of implication, yeah. possibly on the Bellator title contention, um, at uh, Bantamweight. Bantamweight. So, you know, I get, I, I understand the fact that Bellator's trying to get their sea legs back under them, but this, this show was just generally underwhelming. Um, the third fight on the main card was uh, Jason Jackson versus uh, Jordan Meehan at Welter. That one again went to a decision. Jason Jackson pulled the win. And then the main card was um, at Bantamweight, and it was Ricky Bandejas versus Sergio Pettis. Um, Pettis got the win at a decision. It was it was a good fight. It was a good technical fight. They're just it wasn't very exciting. Yeah. Um, the 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 press and everyone afterwards said, yeah, Pettis is you know supposed to be the number one contender for the 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 belt that I believe uh, Pitbull has. Yeah, Pitbull is going to fight uh, coming up, and then the winner of that fight will fight Pettis. Yeah, that's how it's rolling. So, yeah, Bellator over is overwhelming. We're not going to cover all the UFC fights. There's too many of them. There's just a couple on the prelims when want to get into and just kind of do, you know, a little cover of the main because we've got pretty deep. Uh, prelims, the only two fights on there that I was really interested in and actually really paid a whole lot of attention to was Beth Carrera and Panine Kansas because Beth Carrera, she – Hasn't really done a whole lot since that loss to Ronda Rousey a few years ago. She's won, lost. I was just curious. And this fight, she was just look, didn't look good. She actually, in the second round, thought the bell had sounded when it was just a 10 seconds. She turned her back and got hit. I almost and got wobbled, but 10 seconds, fight still on. And she lost by decision. She got, you know, it just didn't look good. She's probably on her way out of the UFC. Ever since Ronda broke her Spirit. undefeated streak, because that was the deal, yeah. right? Because Betch was undefeated yeah. and Ronda Rousey. was undefeated. And ever since Betch got her, her undefeated streak broken, she's just been kind of trying to figure out what the future looks yeah, like. Yeah, I mean, she's lost to Holly Holmes. She's lost to quite a few. Yeah. Uh, the other prelim fight that was awesome was Tanner Bozer versus Rafael Paseo Nunez. I like Tanner Bozer. I've said this before. I thought he was awesome. He come out into this fight, went right, went right after the heavy striking for heavyweights. This was not boring, and no. he got a knockout in the second round. He set Nunez down with a hard jab. I mean, just set him down with a straight, stiff jab, and then he just followed up with a few shots on the ground. And the referee called it. Bozer is got a legit knockout hand. But that jab, when he throws that straight, just full-on jab, he's moving people. He's not using it to find his distance or moving as a, using that jab as defense. He's using that jab 
as an offensive weapon. He's just throwing his weight behind that, just that left jab. All of the heavyweight fights on this UFC card were good. I know I've, I know I've busted on the heavyweights the last couple of cards, but the heavyweight fights on this one were actually good. But you're looking at good heavyweights. Yeah. But Tanner Bozer easily won. He got a $50,000 performance of the night bonus. So he kind of lived up. He had just signed a uh, four-fight ex- four extension before this fight, and he showed Dana White that it was worth it because he got a great win. He looked good, and he had a performance of the night. Now let's go to the main card. <laughs> Chamov, who we talked about before, who set the record for fighting twice in 10 days. He also has two victories in 10 days. At a very short span of time of combined fights. He, and just so you understand how dominating his two fights are, Kazmat Chamov threw 192 strikes. His combined opponents threw two. He's been struck zero times in two fights. Meanwhile, he's landed like almost 100 strikes. This fight against Ryze McKay, I felt bad for the poor kid because they said go. Chamov went across the octagon, picked this kid up, carried him back to the other side, to his corner. So he could get coached. So he could get coached, slam the kid down, and proceeded just to beat on him for about two and a half minutes before the ref, ref finally stopped it. He just beat on him. He's got great cage awareness. Yeah. I mean, he knows where he is. He knows where his corner is. And just to be yeah, just to be that strong, to walk across, pick a kid up, carry him back across the octagon, and drop him. If, and for as as long yeah. as he is. Like, he's a, he's a tall, long guy. And usually when you see those tall, long guys, they do have a little bit of a deficit on the strength end. This kid does not. And But right after the fight, he started, you know, two wins, set a record, and he's already jawing. He challenged Conor McGregor. He's challenging, he's challenging people. I think he'll be a good contender, but he needs to maybe fight someone top 20 and then maybe move up to top 15 before he starts hounding at someone like McGregor. Because, yeah. yes, McGregor lost to Khabib. Chamoff ain't, ain't Khabib yet. McGregor also set Khabib down with a straight left. And I think he could possibly do that this fight. The other thing about Chamayev's two fights is they're at two different weight classes. Yeah. Which, yeah. that's you know not unimpressive either okay. but he came up on the, the second, second one so yep. he didn't have to cut yeah he he cut weight for his first white and this one this one he fought heavier so he didn't have to do a uh, two two straight weight cuts that'd be i don't think his body could have handled that well it's good strategy yeah yeah i mean and he was willing to do a catch catch weight fight if needed uh next fight was alex overa versus peter sabato i was actually looking forward to this fight but it ended up being boring, not, I guess, uh, because Sabata just wasn't there. He looked outclassed. Cowboy Oliveira just did whatever he wanted to. He threw switch kicks. He threw side kicks. He did fancy stuff. He threw combinations. Then he played. I mean, this was basically just Oliveira laughing and having fun. This was not the fight he had with Yancey no. Medeiros. No. That was a spectacular fight. Or even the, even the fight he had with Cowboy Cerrone. Yeah. When they traded hats. And uh, Alex Rivera, which is awesome, since they're both Cowboy, Alex Rivera actually brought Cerrone a really nice cat, uh, Cowboy hat 
and gave him a feather from like you know uh, from a bird from his homeland. It was you know really special, and Cerrone ate it up, and they had a great fight. Cerrone won, but those two dudes, yeah, it was a good fight. I mean, Oliveira's game as they come, and he just made Sabata look lost. I mean, all I heard, all the hype I heard leading up to this fight was Sabata's working on his striking, working on his footwork. This is going to be a different style. He's going to be boxing better. And Alex Vera's like, yeah, yeah, how about this? And just ate him up. Yeah, that was a disappointing fight. And then next is Paul Craig versus Antigolov. I figured this fight would go probably the second or third round. I was surprised. I was shocked because right off the bat, Andiglove took Paul Craig down almost immediately. And Paul Craig was like, okay. He was fine on his back. And while Andiglove was working on striking and was trying to punch him, he walked himself into Paul Craig's guard. Paul Craig then got one leg up, got the other leg up, and slowly, methodically, while using basic jiu-jitsu punch block, defending the strikes... Worked it into a triangle, a perfect textbook triangle, and choked Antiglove to force the submission. Out of five light heavyweight triangles in UFC history, Paul Craig has three. And he put he it was a clinic how easily he did it. I don't think that was the uh, the ending that everybody was expecting no. out of that fight. I think they were really thinking that Antigolov uh, was going to be a knockout yeah. and that was going to be the win. Yep. But it, it didn't turn out that way. Uh, Carlos Barza, Mariana Rodriguez. Uh, when we did the pre-fight on this, I I told you I didn't, didn't know much about Rodriguez, and Esparza, you know, she's a veteran. Sparza won by decision. It was close. Uh, she had most of the control. The only issue she had was she kept going for an, she went for an ankle lock in the first round and a heel hook in the second round and let Mariana get out, get up and beat on her. Uh, but Rodriguez is young. Uh, she had great elbows from her back. She actually cut Sparza up with an elbow off her back. She's got good guard. So, yeah, she lost by decision. It was a split decision. So I think Rodriguez has probably got a pretty bright future. She's in her early 20s. She's got time. You know, to she's sure. got plenty of time. And Esparza was the women's champion not that long ago. Yeah. So, I mean, this isn't like she's just fighting some nobody. She didn't lose to a jobber. It, it, yeah. it was a legitimate loss yeah. for a young And it was a split prospect. decision loss. So, oh, I mean, so somebody yeah, saw yeah. something somewhere. It was 29, 28. Three judges, two for Sparza, one for her. Okay. Uh, next fight was Fabricio Verdum and Alexander Gusterson. What did I say on the preview show? We, we disagreed on this on the preview show, and I was wrong. Gusterson looked super dad bod and <laughs> did not look well for being a heavyweight, and Verdum literally just said... I'm going to take you down, I'm going to get control, and I'm going to armbar you. And he slowly, methodically worked on it. And I think Gus was working on kidney shots yeah, because yeah. He, had a, he had a little extra padding yeah. in that area. Yeah. He, yeah, he was not – I don't know if he thought Verdum was done because this is Verdum's last fight with the UFC. If he thought that Verdum was just going to show up, walk out, get his paycheck, go home. Verdum 
come out to get a win. And he got the win, a very, very good win. It was a textbook perfect arm bar for a super fighter and a great jiu-jitsu practitioner. I mean, he did exactly what you would teach in here in a roll when you're doing a live roll, how to control the wrist, how to get your body set up. And when Gusterson tried to defend, Verdum did the exact what you know what you have to do to break the defense. He leaned forward, went to the side, got the hands unlocked, and went back to the armbar. It was it was over way too fast. I expected to go two two or three round, you know, and it didn't. It went a two and a half minutes. Then we get to the co-main event, which was the retirement fight between Hua and Little Nog, and I almost nodded off. That was not a compelling uh, fight. These guys looked like they were in their 40s. I mean, they looked at... Hey, what are you saying? It, well, dude, we're not fighting professionally. No one's paying us what these guys got paid. And they're not the, we're not a co-main event. If we were on a fight card somewhere, we'd probably be the prelim. <laughs> we, we're the guys when there's nobody in the audience shit, just getting some blood on the mat. You know, we're getting a little bit of sweat out there. Which is fun. I'd do it. I mean, I don't care. But I was actually thinking this was going to be a good fight because this is a retirement fight for Little Nog and Hua said he's not retiring he might fight uh, Fedor or something like that then retire but they Hua controlled the fight the whole distance Little Nog once he started getting punched just like oh I really don't want to be here can can the time hurry up and get through uh, and so this was their trilogy fight and now Hua has a win over Nog in their 20s, their 30s, and their 40s. And then we get to the main event. And this was actually a spectacular fight. This was a good one, yeah. The Reaper versus the, the gorilla. gorilla. And these, dude, these two put on a great show. Whitaker was clearly the winner. No controversy. Darren Till even said it. There was no controversy. It was no that Whitaker beat him. He actually probably has... Till may have to have surgery on his knee. He's pretty sure Whitaker blew it out. They, uh, he's still waiting on uh, final results and everything. I think he's getting a couple opinions. He might have to have surgery. But Whitaker, when was when he was told about it after the fight, was just like, okay, so? And I would like to add soccer kicks back, you know? Yeah, Whitaker's the, the reaper for a reason. The the uh, the press guy said Till said he thought the uh, the knee stomps should be made illegal, and Whitaker says, "Oh, well, I want soccer kicks back." Yeah. That was Whitaker had the most gangster after fight interview on that I've ever seen. They they beat each other, they beat each other around the octagon. They were sportsmen about it. Even after the fight, they were both sportsmen about it. Uh, I understand Till. He's like, "Yeah, you know the knee stomps." There's, there is a group in the UFC you think knee, knee stomps and those straight kicks to the knee should be outlawed. But it's a fight for a reason, and they, you know, the other side says learn to defend them. You, you, know? you can argue I, – I can see the knees to a downed opponent, yes. even though I like them. Yeah. I can see soccer kicks. Even though they were entertaining. Even though they're entertaining. If you take the teep kick away yeah. – that's that's even the six even the six twelve or the twelve six elbow right. You can kind of argue that one way or the other, but if they take the teeth kick away 
that's going to be a serious nerfing of mixed martial arts. That one I cannot get past. Dana White said a long time ago that would never happen, and they've never really because it's it's a fight. If I can kick you in your head, I can should be able to kick you in your knee. I mean, yeah. Because if I can't kick you in your knee, then next they're going to say, well, I can't kick you in your face. Then what's the point? We're not really fighting. Might as well put, you know, be point sparring and karate. Yeah, and that's... Just saying. Yeah, that's going to suck. So, those are the fights. Um, That was... It was a good weekend. You know, like I said, the Bellator fight... The Bellator card was not that great. The the fight night with UFC, it was a pretty good fight. Uh, Pretty good fight card. So, we're looking forward to the next card and whatever comes up then. So... Like I said, we're going to talk a little bit more about jiu-jitsu on this episode, and we'll get to that here in just a minute. All right, and we're back. So now that COVID is starting to loosen up a little bit, jiu-jitsu gyms across the nation are starting to open up again in various capacities. Yeah, it depends what state... Yeah, some of my friends online, some of the, the Twitter peeps and Instagram peeps that um, I've made contact with over the years, some schools are rolling and they're yep. back to normal. Some schools like Total Defense Martial Arts here in Stanton, where Jerry and I train, we're still on non-contact. But we still are getting new students, which is yep. awesome. We've had three new students sign up in the last two weeks. So thank you to all of our new students um, here at Total Defense. But Jerry and I thought we would talk about this week in the jiu-jitsu portion uh, of the show some advice and some tips for new jiu-jitsu students. Starting jiu-jitsu can be a very daunting experience, and we want to make it a little bit easier for folks who are thinking about trying or have just come home from their first class and they're yes. scratching their heads going, what the fuck did I just sign up yeah. for? So I've got three tips. Jerry's got three tips. We're going we're gonna to round robin this and go back and forth. So my first tip for aspiring jujitsaras uh, across the world is just start. I've heard multiple times from friends who I've said, hey, you want to come try jiu-jitsu? They say, well, I want to get in shape first, or I want to lose a couple of pounds, or I'm not very flexible, so I want to do X, Y, or Z before I come in. Don't do that. Just start. Come in and sign up. Nobody expects you to be this physical specimen when you start jiu-jitsu. When I started, I was 41 years old. I was in okay shape, but not great. But nothing that you do outside of jiu-jitsu is going to prepare you for jiu-jitsu. Nope. It is a completely different physical and mental exercise than anything else you try, unless you wrestled in high school or college. Then you kind of understand what's going on, but... If you haven't done that sort of combat sport, um, even if you've done karate or taekwondo or some other traditional martial art, it's still not the same. So if you're thinking about starting jiu-jitsu or, or coming in for your, uh, your trial week, 
most schools do a trial week. They should. Um, just come on in and try. Give it a shot. Unless you're, if you're going to a good school, you're not going to be rolling for at least the first month. Yeah, six weeks. Yeah, six, to a month to six weeks, you're not going to be rolling. Um, if you walk into a school and you do your your trial class and they go, hey, yeah, go ahead and roll, you probably ought to go find another school because that's either a high-level competition school or it's being run by a coach that I wouldn't want to work with. Um, so just start. Starting is always the hardest part. Every excuse you have for, you know, I have to do this before I start jiu-jitsu, throw them out the window and come try. Um, we here at Total Defense, we we're, we welcome new students. We, you know, we, we try to treat you, try to treat you right. We take it easy on you. Um, we want you to stay after that trial week. So just start. Next is show up. Go to class. You know, just signing up. A lot of people, just like any other gym contract, they'll sign up, they'll go a couple times, and then they'll start making excuses. Well, I'm tired from work. I'm tired from this. I've got this to do. i got that to do. Just show up. I've been doing this going on four years. I love it. My day at work can be overwhelming with stress, and it's physically grueling. It's a hot place to work. But I come in here, even if I'm tired, and the moment I get in here and I get on the mat, it's like I get a second wind, and I enjoy it. It's a great stress reliever, and you learn stuff. The best days to learn in here are the days you're tired because you will learn proper technique because you're too tired to just fake it and use strength. And you also learn uh, resilience. Yes. You learn to grind it out. Showing up is the biggest thing because there's members even in every gym. We have members here that just show up occasionally. And then they wonder why they're not getting any better. Well, it's because you come once a month. And you come almost the same class once a month and learn the same technique once a month. Because here we try to, we teach, we have a, you know, curriculum. So we go over the basics on a schedule. And it's funny, there's a couple students, it seems like they show up on the same class schedule once every few, you know, once a month, once every six weeks, and they learn the same technique. And they wonder why they're not getting any better. They're really good at the UPA, and that's about it. Yeah, they can shrimp pretty well, but that's, other than that, they're lost. So the, the third uh, tip that we've got right now is to remember that your biggest competition is yourself. Jiu-Jitsu is a very personal journey for practitioners. It's very easy to get caught up in how many times you got tapped or how many times you tapped somebody else or the, the competition aspect of rolling. But the important thing to remember is you are your own greatest competition, and as long as you're better than you were last class, that's the biggest victory that you're going to have. Yeah. Um, you know, you're looking at personal development, and it's kind of tricky because you come in and you start class, and you're the new guy, and you're always going to be the FNG until another person comes in. So as you're learning, your other team members, they're learning and growing 
as well. So it's gonna seem pretty frustrating in the beginning because it's hard for you to judge your growth and, and your accumulation of skill until another new guy comes in. And then you'll understand how much you really know or how, you know, how good you've really become. In the beginning of jujitsu, your measures of improvement are going to be very small. It's going to be, I lasted the entire round uh, of rolling with an upper belt without tapping to pressure. Yeah, yeah. When, when I first started, um, my main training partner was Matt Warner. What's up, Matt? Um, he was a blue belt at the time. He was um, teaching the Saturday morning class. Matt's got incredible pressure inside control. And for the first month I worked with him, I tapped pressure at least once every class. I just couldn't take it, didn't know how to deal with it, and I tapped out from pressure. Not from an arm bar, an omoplata, Kimura, it was pressure. But that one class, that first class where I made it all the way through and I didn't tap from pressure. It's a victory. I, that was a victory. I felt like I had done something. And it's going to be the same for anyone who's starting out. Your guideposts for progress are going to be very different when you're beginning. For, for me, if I can make an upper belt, because I'm a blue belt, if I can make the purple belts and the brown belts and even our visiting black belts, if I can make them go to their second submission and not their first, if I can make them change their game plan, I've won. Yeah, I might still submit, I might still tap out to it, but I made them change what they were initially going to do to me because my defense was better or I maybe started, you know, did something they weren't expecting. To me, that's a victory. If I can make a black belt work a little bit, I'm happy. He can submit me 15 times in the six-minute roll, but if I'm making him work a little bit and it looks like it, I'm happy. And I mean, little little things you'll find. Little victories are good. Walking out of here at night and not being submitted as much is awesome. Like you said, not some, not tapping to pressure, uh, not getting caught when they go for the armbar. Force them to go for something else. Defending the armbar, escaping from an armbar. Even if you only escape for a little bit of time, and they still get you in it later. An escape's an escape. I mean. If you're playing against an upper belt and you manage to get an escape, that's a good thing. Yep. So for, for all your beginners, you know, remember that you're your biggest competition. And as long as you can kick your ass from yesterday, yep. you're getting better. All right. Next is take notes. This is something that was drilled into my head by Scott Allen. When I first started training, he said, take notes. You'll you'll understand. And I took notes. I have notebooks at home. Sometimes I would take them in class, and other times as soon as class was over, I'd sit down and jot down a few things I learned. And sometimes it was just a few sentences. You know, move my hip this way when I'm doing something. I need to put my hand here instead of here when I'm working on this. And you'd be surprised at how much that helps you later on down because you can look at your notes and be like, okay, I need to do it this way instead of that way. And you can start critiquing yourself, and you can start learning. Taking notes, bring a little notebook, and like, and 
most instructors are going to sit there and let you take notes while they're talking because they're going to demonstrate the drill of the night. Well, if they're going to do an arm bar, they're going to get a partner and they're going to talk through it and they're going to show it to you three or four times. So you got plenty of time to write down a few quick notes. And then next time, write down a few more and write down a few more. And soon you'll have a, several pages just on an arm bar. Just on a, you know, the straight arm bar from guard, straight arm, you know, arm bar from mount. And you'll, you'll realize how much this helps you later on. I take notes with, when we do seminars. I'll, I'll fill up pages yeah. when we have seminars. Pages of just every little thing that he says. And if you can take notes during the, the breakdown while coach or, or the, the person giving the seminar, if you can take notes little notes during um, while they're doing the demonstration and then between the period where they're doing the class and then you go to, to live rolling or, or sparring at the end of the class or the seminar, take a, take a couple minutes, sit on the sidelines, flesh out your notes a little bit. That's a great time to go to the coach and say, hey coach, you, you covered this and it's, you know, knee on belly to transition. What am, I miss this. What am I missing here? Your coach will will walk through that with you and remind you see that you can flesh out your notes and if the coach sees you taking taking notes he's going to notice that so don't be afraid to say hey coach or you know whoever's doing the seminar i've got this much what did i miss here give me a refresher they're not going to say oh you missed it so you know you're you're kind of screwed they are noticing that you're putting in extra effort to take notes and try to remember so don't be afraid to ask. Yeah, I've got notes from several seminars, and I remember taking notes and one in a black belt saying, where's my little note taker? And he made sure he was saying stuff so I could write it down and was being very methodical because he knew I was taking notes. And he was impressed with it because I was sitting there watching, but I was also jotting down little notes so I could remember what he was talking about because they go over so much stuff Sometimes it'll slip out your head, but you look at a little note you wrote down and it'll remind you of something. And you may not learn, you're not going to learn every bit of a position from one class. Unless you're some freak, you know, you're not going to know. You're, you're going to, they'll show you the arm bar, they'll probably, they'll show you the arm bar a couple hundred times before you get it down. And then it'll be probably several, you know, 10,000 times before you get it right. Yep. And that, that actually leads into my next tip, and that's don't get overwhelmed. Um, it's very easy when you get into the technique portion of the class as a beginner um, to get overwhelmed with the amount of information that's being thrown at you. Um, typically, where Jerry and I train, we will do one to two self-defense techniques at the beginning of class because we're a very self-defense uh, focused school. And then we'll go on to more of a sport jujitsu technique and we'll do one or two techniques there. So we're covering anywhere from three to five techniques in a night. It's not difficult to get overwhelmed. So if you're taking notes, that will help your retention. But as a beginner, just try to walk out of that class with one technique. Yep. And if it's a self-defense focused school like we are, 
try to focus on the self-defense uh, techniques because not only are they going to be applicable in the gym when you're rolling, but it's also going to be something that you can carry to the outside world and use if you're ever put in a dangerous situation, like when a crazy guy comes into the yarn store and, and, and tries to mess with you. So don't get overwhelmed. You're going to cover, if you stay with jiu-jitsu for any amount of time, you're going to cover the same material multiple times. Yep. Like Jerry said, with the, the, the casual student that shows up you know, once every four to six weeks, every time a new student walks in, you're going to be doing upas and trap and roll. You are not going to... You're not going to ever cover a technique that you're never going to see again. Yeah. It's going to come up again. So try to focus as a beginner on one technique and walking out, understanding that as best you can. If you've covered three arm bar variations in one night, walk out with the one that you understand the most yep. rather than understanding a third of each one. Now, this is the best advice I can give you over everything. Do the drills. When you come to class, do the drills. Don't half-ass them. Don't hurry up through them. People get you know, bored because they don't want to do the shrimps. They don't want to do the thread the needle technique. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do the front shoulder roll. I don't want to do the break falls. But I tell you what, you need to learn them. We do them here. We do them at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. We'll do drills. We line up and do basic drills, shrimping down the mat. And we're doing break falls. We're doing side break falls. We're doing standing base. We've just learned a different way of technical stand-up than we were previously doing. And then we learn to practice that. There's so many, those drills that people dread doing and think are boring all lead back to better technique because the shrimp you don't want to do is how you escape from someone's side control. That thread the needle that you think is silly, looks weird, is how you get out of someone's heavy side control. The little things, the warm-ups and everything that, you know, you're the assistant coach might be running you through until the head coach, you know, gets ready to teach class. They have a reason. They, there is a point to them. It's like every major sport you watch around. You see guys playing football, hitting the pads, running the routes, doing the basic stuff. It's because they make – there's a reason for it because muscle memory. There, was, there is a reason that every jiu-jitsu and wrestling apparel company in the world – makes a t-shirt that says drillers make killers yep it's it's the truth and this tip from jerry is applicable to beginners and black belts alike do your drills i was off the mats for a while with an injury uh, back early early last year when i could finally come back all i could do was drill I couldn't do anything else but drill. I was not allowed to flow roll. I was not allowed to full-on roll. So while the rest of the, of the team was rolling, I got an armbar dummy and practiced um, stripper pole armbars. And 
Everybody who does jiu-jitsu knows what I'm talking about. I did stripper pole arm bars repeatedly. And when I finally started rolling again, I was rolling with a guy and he, I was in mount and he pushed up on my chest and with both hands, the, 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 the arm bar from, from mount was there and muscle memory kicked in and I knew exactly what to do. And I did it because I had practiced that arm bar probably 500 times in the three months between when I was allowed to actually get back on the mat before I could roll. Muscle memory is a thing. Yep. Drillers make killers. I remember we, we would do the sit-out drill in here. And everybody, a lot of people would be like, what are we ever going to use this for, sit-out drill? I wrestled, so I know what the sit-out drill is for. And I pulled it off in here one night against an upper belt. I used this dust. Sit-out drill escape and took the back. And impressed my coach because I used the textbook sit-out drill to get it. And it's something we drilled in here almost every Saturday. It became like a Saturday thing where people would show up late Saturday class just so they could skip the drills. Me, I was here early because I don't mind. It gets you warmed up. And again, it's that extra little bit of time. You work on your shrimping. You work on your sit-out drill. You work on your front shoulder roll, your back shoulder roll. Things that you have to know if you're going to progress in jiu-jitsu. If you just want to show up once a month and play grab ass, then that's on you. But if, you, if you're taking this journey and you really want to take this journey, do the drills. And that's a really good point, Jerry, that, that you just brought up. All of these drills, the set out drill, the shrimp drill, the thread the needle, they all have a reason that you're doing them. You might not understand them at the time you're learning them, but there is a reason that you're doing them and you'll figure it out eventually. You'll yep. understand why you're doing that drill eventually. Um, you know, we had a couple of uh, new students in today and we were doing thread the needle. And it's a, that's a weird movement. And one of yourself. the new guys said, this feels weird. And coach said, hey, it feels weird and it doesn't make sense right now, but... When you get somebody in over un when somebody gets you in over under side control, it'll make sense, and that goes for everything for every drill that you do in jujitsu. There's a reason to do it. You just might not understand it yet. Yeah, it's it's they're teaching it to you because there's a method to the madness. If you learn how to shrimp properly, then when it's time to use it, you'll know how to. Because most people. And our coach was talking about, he's been talking about it for the last couple of weeks, and he talked about it again tonight. So many people would just hurry up and do the shrimp, and they never did it properly. And he's now trying to teach us, since we have, we're not allowed to have contact. Lame. Needless to say, uh, he's going back through the basics, even with us. I've been training a long, I know how to fall down. I know how to get back up. But now that I'm, that's all we really can do, I'm getting better at it. I'm actually finding that my break falls are smoother because that's all we can do. So I'm spending more time paying attention to them. I'm, you know, the basic, you know, break fall, when you're falling straight back, my knees are staying down, my legs are staying where they should be. I'm falling perfectly. I'm not knocking, you know, breathing out. My head's 
chin's tucked to my chest and I'm popping right back up and technical stand up and doing it right again. Same with the side break, you know, break fall left or right. I'm getting better and I've been doing this for going on four years and I'm getting better now because I'm paying more attention to the drills. Tonight's class we worked on break falls and we worked on, like you said, the thread the needle. And yes, it does look weird when you don't have a partner, but if you can do thread the needle by yourself, you'll get be so much better when you are facing an opponent. I used to practice it by myself at home before my blue belt test because it's an escape I have to perform. And it was always the one that made me feel weird because you have to, you know, you don't roll over. You're actually stepping through with one leg through the other. People who don't practice jiu-jitsu, you might understand what the thread the needle drill is. It's, it's a way to escape someone who's on top of you. If you don't, if you don't do jiu-jitsu, sign up. Yes. You need to do jujitsu. Everyone Seriously. needs to do jujitsu. So I got one other one, and I know right. we said we do three and three, but this is kind of a bonus one, and it, it plays on a pet peeve. So this isn't for people who are doing their trial week, but once you sign your contract, um, don't bolt from class after everything's done. There's a lot of work that has to be done in the gym after class wraps up. In order to have a good school, um, you know, you have to sweep the mats. The mats have to be mopped. A lot of times, you know, there's vacuuming to be done. And our gym, we can't afford a professional cleaning crew. Most gyms can't afford a professional cleaning crew to come in three times a week, six times a week to clean the gym. So... It's up to the students to maintain the cleanliness standards and the hygiene standards of the gym. So, you know, once you, my general rule is once you sign a contract and you get your gi, you should be offering to help clean the gym at the end of class. You know, usually it's the senior students, the people who've been here for a while who stay clean, who stay and clean. But you know what? It's really nice to have a new student or a white belt come up to coach or to one of the, the students who are staying habitually to clean and say, what can I do to help? Even if, that, even if the, the, the coach says, we got this, you can head out, we really appreciate the offer yep. for you to stay and clean. And you know what? Somebody might take you up on it because, you know, we got to go somewhere, we got to do something you know, on a Saturday morning class, you know, maybe somebody's got to go pick up their kid or something. And it's always nice for there to be too many hands to carry the water than it is not enough. Yeah. So once you sign your contract, once you, you know, once you get your gi and you sign your contract, you know, look for other ways to pitch in because all that's going to do is make you a part of the team faster. Yes. I, I learned that real quick. I started staying over to help clean up because I started boxing here too. When I first started, I did boxing, jiu-jitsu, and FMA. Right now, I can only do jiu-jitsu because of the rules of COVID. You can't, we can't take multiple classes because you know to decrease the spread. But I would stay and clean at the end of every class, boxing class, jiu-jitsu class, FMA, because to me, if I personally helped clean the mats, I knew they were clean. 
So I knew yeah. the next time I came in here and I put my body on this mat, I knew it was clean because, hey, I watched them clean it. So here on future episodes, we're going to get into a, uh, a an episode where we talk about traveling in jiu-jitsu because one of the really cool things about jiu-jitsu is you can go to other schools yep. and train at other schools. And you're going to hear this tip again. Always offer to help clean at the end of class at your school or at somebody else's. But we'll talk about that uh, when we get to the, the traveling in jiu-jitsu class here after everybody's open and rolling yeah. and we can go back to traveling yeah we, we've choked out corona and it's no longer a thing so those were our tips well so jerry do you have a bonus tip because i had a bonus tip uh the only bonus tip i can say is learn to survive survival is the key to a white belt when i first started jujitsu after i started being able to roll and I was getting submitted by everybody and I couldn't do anything. I was getting so frustrated. And then I bought a book and I read it and it literally says in the first chapter for white belts is, the only job of a white belt is to survive. That's the Salo Hibero yep. Jiu-Jitsu Bible. The Jiu-Jitsu uh, Bible. Or encyclopedia. And he literally says your best, that your whole point is a white belt isn't to worry about submissions, it's to learn to survive a little bit longer each round. And once I started doing that, and like, okay, if I can make it to only get submitted twice this round, I'm winning. Okay, I didn't get submitted but once this round. Yeah, I'm getting better. Okay, I got submitted a bunch of times this time, this round, but I was messing up. Hey, but I'm still you know, able to come back to class. Being a white belt, especially a no-stripe white belt, survive. Don't worry about submitting. You're not going to submit an upper belt unless they let you. You don't know any submissions at no-stripe white belts. Yeah. Even in, even if you're a one- or two-stripe white belt, if you're submitting the upper belts, I guarantee you it's because they're letting you because they're trying to figure out an ex a different escape from that position. And if you catch a submission, they'll submit to it, but they were working on something. So don't go get, you know, also a little bit, when you leave the gym, don't go out here bragging, oh, I submitted a blue belt tonight. I submitted a purple belt tonight. Because I guarantee you, if you start putting that on social media or start thinking that means something, the next time you come to class, Smash City, you're going to have a rough night. So just as a white belt, especially just as a white belt in general, even before, all, all the way up until a blue, until you actually get your blue belt. Just learn to survive. Learn to have fun. I laugh in here a lot when I'm rolling. I smile, I laugh, I have fun. Because rolling with my friends in here is fun. And if, you, if you're not having fun, then you probably picked the wrong sport. Because even if I'm getting submitted, I'm getting choked, I'm in a bad spot. We have some guys in here, when they're in side control... And they're putting pressure down. It is miserable. It's but I'll awful. sit there and laugh because it sucks. I'll say it sucks. But I've learned to go from, oh, my God, I can't do nothing to, you know what, this is fun. Because even, even if I'm tapping, I'm learning something. Oh, well, I learned not to put my hand there next time. Like our coach, he loves to make you cross your own arms so he can triangle you. That is his goal. Every role, I think, is to see if he can make you somehow cross your own arm for you. 
and he'll tell you about it the whole time he's doing yeah. it. And once you do it, he'll say, "Up oh, there you go." And Why'd you like, do that? Yeah, damn. And then submit you because he's playing. He's letting you do stuff. And then he's going to tell you, this is what's going to happen when you do that. I'm going to put you in a head and arm triangle. Uh, we have another purple belt named Matt Scretta who does the same thing. He'll let me work. And then when I mess up, he'll submit me and be like, okay, so let me tell you what you did wrong. It's like, yeah, I know what I did wrong. <laughs> I put my hand where I shouldn't have. And so just survive. Just have fun. Make it fun. Like I said, I laugh in here. We joke. We can be rolling, me and Scott, we can be rolling full force. And there's nights we are going like we're trying to kill each other. And we're giggling and laughing like a couple lunatics. It is, it is awesome. Rolling with your friends is one of the greatest experiences you'll ever have. Because you can go all out and Jerry, I trust Jerry to, to we can go full out with each other. And I know Jerry's not going to hurt me. And I hope he knows the, yeah, the same about me. Um, it, it's it's amazing. So, I mean, jujitsu is an amazing experience. I, I highly recommend it to anybody just to come in and try. Um, it, it, it's a life changing experience. Um, it's done nothing but good things for me. It'll make you humble. And I I'll, yes. I've said it before in a previous podcast we did, and I'll say it again. My, I'm a better person now because of jujitsu. I'm more humble because I've been beaten here by guys that I wouldn't think looking at them on the street, they would stand a chance in hell of taking a punch from me. And these guys submit me on a regular basis, and I love it. I've, I'm better with people. I'm more confident in myself, so I don't get offended when someone says something to me. It's like, I don't care, you know? I got, you know, I'm, I'm okay with who I am. I know what I know, and I don't need to prove it. I don't need to be the peacock and just ruffle my feathers whenever some other one, somebody says something. If, hey, you say whatever. It is what it is. I'm more confident. I'm healthier. COVID ain't helping, but I'm, still, I'm, I'm a lot healthier than I, you know, I was when I first started. Uh, and personal... I've made some great friends. I mean, I didn't know Scott before we started, you know, before he came to class. And here we are drinking whiskey, doing, doing a podcast. podcast together. I mean, I've gone drinking with these guys after work. We've gone out to eat. We've done all kinds of stuff together. You will find that a jujitsu, a good jujitsu gym, they become your family. These people will literally bend over backwards and help each other. I mean, we've helped each other in here. We've helped each other outside of here. I mean, we've checked on each other. When Scott was hurt, we checked on him. When other people have been out or injured, we checked on them. I mean, that's what we do. We worry about our teammates. We take care of them because we become a family. We become brothers and sisters. This is a – when you start choking each other and you get into this and you're putting the effort in, you find how close you can become to people because jujitsu. I mean, it's a close sport. You have to have a certain type of character to do this. And, you know, we encourage people to try it. And, no, not everybody's going to like it. People aren't going to like somebody on top of them. Someone's not going to like being grabbed and stuff. It's, and it's not for everybody. I've, I've been here for a while, and I've seen a lot of people come and go. 
because and some of them didn't like their egos they couldn't you know young men couldn't control their egos and some young ladies couldn't deal with the closeness the fact that somebody is on top of them or beside them or you know they couldn't stand the pressure and it was, it was difficult but for the majority of people i think jujitsu works <coughs> excuse me jocko's got a uh... <coughs> He's got a great point. He said, try jiu-jitsu until you get your first submission. Yeah. Stick with it until you get your first submission. And then if you still hate it and you still don't like it, then you can quit. Hell, it took me... I was probably rolling six months before I caught my first legit submission. Yeah, and Not it was on about, me. Yeah. And I'm not talking about on just a, you know someone new to class that I got to roll with because it was their first time rolling. I'm talking about a legit submission on somebody who knew enough to defend. And it, it was probably six months, and it was a great feeling. Did I go out here and wake, you know strut like you know king of the block? No, because I knew it only meant something to me on the mat. But it meant something to me on the mat. It meant I was starting to learn to look for openings. And now, I mean, I'm, I'm not any world beater, but I have fun. <coughs> I, everybody knows I have, everybody who rolls with me in this gym know I have several things I do. Let's see, you have <coughs> guillotines, guillotines, and guillotines. Oh, and omoplata. Omoplata! I will stack you, roll you over, and when you try to flip and invert, I will omoplata your ass. That is my go-to. I will let you try and triangle me just so I can stack pass and go for the omoplata. Or I will do whatever. I will faint and do all kinds of funny things so I can guillotine you. I love guillotines. I've I pulled off some weird guillotines in here, and I like it. But it took me three years to get to the point to where I could do a couple things. And, yes, I lose almost always to the purple belts i lose always to the brown belts and i lose to the black belts but one of the biggest compliments i ever got in here one day from a black belt we train with and hopefully we'll get him on our podcast Dwayne, you hear me chokey smurf chokey smurf he showed us straight ankle locks in here on a saturday class and i caught him in a legit straight ankle lock and he <laughs> literally he he got out of it and he submitted me, and then after we were finished rolling, he told me, he said, you had that legit. I should have tapped, but my ego took over because I wasn't about to let a white belt submit me to the thing I just taught him. When that was the biggest compliment I, I, I could ever get, a black belt tell you you did it perfectly. But he, would, he just could not submit to a white belt. I think he was a brown belt at the time. He was. But still, it was a great compliment, and Dwayne is a great man, and hopefully... One day, podcast listeners, you'll get to meet him too. He is a phenomenal person. Yeah, he's he's an awesome person. He's a great black belt. I love watching him move. Mm -hmm. He is so technical. Um, and he's a small. He is one of the the exemplars of what jujitsu yeah. is supposed to be. He's not a big dude, but his movement and technique are so perfect. Perfect. Mm -hmm that you can just watch the guy move and, and be awestruck. So, Dwayne, we're calling you out. You said you'd be on the podcast. We're getting ready to have guests. So, 
you're on notice. We're going to have you on here pretty soon. If, if everything's willing. And it's raining like hell. Yeah. So yep. it's raining pretty hard outside right now. Ladies so Jerry usually does the closing uh, closing comments. I think we're uh, we're getting to that point. So Jerry, what what do you got for us in in the closing comments? Uh, closing comments. Uh, we like we started off tonight with you know paying our respects, and even if either one of those gentlemen are on different sides of the political aisle than what you believe in. There is always a time and place to show your respects. Both these gentlemen spent their life in, you know, in the public space. Uh, different styles, but both came from similar backgrounds and worked their asses off to get to where they are. Uh, always remember that it's easy to uh, fault someone when you see them at their, you know, at the pinnacle, maybe. I see this a lot on social media where people get, you know, all bent out of shape because somebody won something or said, hey, look, you know, I won this and I was able to buy this car. Or I got a promotion and I got this. And people want to, you always have that group of people who want to hate on them. You know, you always have the haters, as they say. That no matter what you do, someone's going to hate on you because they're going to tell you, oh, you don't deserve it. It's not fair. You know, but... For the majority of those people, they've worked their asses off to get to that point, to where they can say, hey, look at me. I was able to buy X, or I was able to do Y, you know? So always remember to, you know, look at the other side. How would it feel if you were the one, you know, putting up something good for you and somebody was hating on you? Maybe you're not a multimillionaire. Hell, we're not. Me and Scott are, you know, we both have full-time jobs, man. We have mortgages to pay. You know, we're not wealthy. But instead of hating on somebody, no matter who they are, for saying, hey, you know, I was able to buy this car. Look at this house I just bought. Cool. I'm, you know, I'm all for it. Because that's the direction they chose in life. You know, for whatever reason, you know, they became a star quarterback. Me? I'm five foot eight, five foot eight on a good day. I ain't a star quarterback, I ain't a star basketball player, but I'm happy. And I've realized a long time ago, be happy with what you have. It is good to have goals and to strive to be better, because I do every day. But I do not hate my position in life. I do not envy others. The only people, I guess you could say I envy, are the people that are happier than me sometimes. Because there's people out there that might have less than I do, but they always seem to be happy. And so I've tried to be happy. I guess I'm just getting kind of long-winded and beating around the bush, but just try to be happy every day. Try to find something to make you happy. Don't hate on other people. Don't let other people's success make you feel rotten about your life. Because no matter how much they have more than you, you have a whole lot more than somebody else. So be content in who you are, and you'll be surprised how happy you are with what you have in your, in your life. Don't worry about, you know, the Kardashians on social media because I guarantee you behind the scenes 
their life is a shit show. All you gotta do is look at that right now. <laughs> That's a pretty. It's a pretty yeah. interesting shit show. And but there for a long time, everybody wanted to be the Kardashians. And then look look at look at reality. Kanye West is having some issues. The other one's ex-husband OD'd on what cocaine, damn near died. And he did die actually. I think they brought him back. I mean, I'm not sure if I want to be the Kardashians. I'm happy with being me. Nothing against them. Just saying. That's you know, that's a rough life. When everybody's watching you and judging you. So just at the end of the day, when you wake up in the morning, find something to be happy about. And you'll be surprised how much happiness will find you. That's all I got. We may not be wealthy, but we're rich. Yeah, we're rich in friends. I mean, we're, we're two dudes sitting here doing a podcast, drinking different whiskeys each week and having fun. And we've also to the point of where we, we have listeners. We can see people are subscribing to us, which is awesome. And we thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And, Thank and you. Soon we'll have a social media page up, so you can tell us what you want to hear more of, what you don't like, and you know we'll we'll see. But at the end of the day, we do this for ourselves to make us happy. We we talk because we talk anyway, and we were like, hell, we might, might as well record and see if someone else wants to listen to us because we're two average guys who decided to start jujitsu in our forties. I was forty years old when I started this. I was 41 when I started. And, you know, it's, it's a journey that I'm enjoying. And, yeah, a lot of these kids coming in are in their 20s. And tell you to a lot of you guys, you know, women might be our age, in your upper 30s, 40s. I'll give you a little secret. There's nothing better than being in your 40s and watching these 20-year-old kids gas out. <laughs> and because they can't they don't know how to maintain and you run them ragged because they can't they can't survive it's a fun fun when you watch them panting sweating and they can't breathe and they have to give up you know i love watching these young kids leave out of here after one roll or two rolls and us older guys and older women are in here for another hour rolling my only regret when it comes to jujitsu is I didn't start sooner. Yeah, that's it. If I would have started this in my teens or twenties, eh. but then again, ain't no point regretting it. I'm having. I don't think. I don't think I would have had the same. I wouldn't have had the same group of people I'm with now. Yeah. Twenty years ago, jujitsu was different in this area. We had. Twenty years ago, we only had one spot, and it was nowhere near here, and it was. It was more of a dungeon. It was more of an MMA kind of a wild thing. They didn't actually teach jujitsu. So this, I'm glad I didn't start 20 years ago also because I think I'm doing better now. I would agree. All right, so that's the show. So we're, uh, we're starting to step up the game a little bit. We're going to start having guests around um, episode 10. Jerry hinted that we're going to have a social media account uh, where we try to promote the, the show a little bit and get some uh, engagement with our followers. Jerry did mention the analytics, so we know we have at least one listener in Australia and one listener in 
Ireland. Which is awesome. Which is awesome. If you guys, I'll put an email address in the show notes. If whoever's listening from Australia and Ireland would reach out to us and just say hey and let us know who you are and how you found out about the show. And that goes for everybody, whether you're in uh, you know, CONUS, uh, United States, or OCONUS over in Ireland, Australia. We'd love to hear from you. I'll put an email in the show notes. Or you can leave us a comment or a rating on Spotify or uh, Anchor or any of the other podcast avenues that the show is published on. Um, but that's the show for today. So, Brother Jerry, cheers. Cheers. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for joining us. This is Rolling Rocks Radio. He's Jerry Armantrout. I'm Scott Barker, and we're out. Good night. The music from tonight's episode was But I Am Shafts of Light by Maya from their album, Wailing Village.